Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Thursday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Um, So really quick, before we get into the news, just a quick uh, housekeeping note. I woke up this morning to an email letting me know that uh, everything yesterday this morning is currently ranked in daily news on iTunes in Canada and the United States in the top 50. So that's not because of me. That's because of you guys and and your support and listening to me. And I love you and I thank you for that so much. Um, With that being said, if you do listen to the show and you are enjoying it, Um, Go hit those stars, leave a comment, let me know that you're enjoying it. Um, That also helps with the rankings. And there is nothing that would give me more joy than seeing my podcast for daily news um, reaching heights further than than some of the mainstream media outlets. So um, if, if you don't care to do that, I would appreciate it. Okay, into the good stuff. So as part of longstanding efforts and ongoing efforts to be better prepared to save lives, following radiological and nuclear emergencies, the United States Department of Health and Human Services is purchasing a supply of the drug N-Plate from Amgen. Um, N-Plate is approved to treat blood cell injuries that accompany acute radiation syndrome in adult and pediatric patients, um, also known as ARS. Amgen, which is based in Thousands Oaks, California, developed N-Plate for ARS with support from the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, part of the HHS administration for strategic preparedness and response, as well as the national, the NAID, of course. Of course, Anthony Fauci is involved. Part of the National Institutes of Health. BARDA is using its authority provided under the 2004 Project BioShield Act and $290 million in Project BioShield des- designated funding to purchase this supply of the drug. Amgen will maintain this supply in vendor-managed inventory. This approach decreases life cycle management costs for taxpayers because doses that near expiration can be rotated into the commercial market for rapid use prior to expiry, and new doses can be added to the government supply. ARS, which is also known as radiation sickness, occurs when a person's entire body is exposed to a high dose of penetrating radiation, reaching internal organs in a matter of seconds. Symptoms of ARS injuries include impaired blood clotting as a result of low platelet counts, which can lead to uncontrolled and life-threatening bleeding. To reduce radiation-induced bleeding, N-plate stimulates the body's production of platelets. The drug can be used to treat adults and children. It is approved for adult and pediatric patients with immune immune thrombocytopenia. Golly, man. Some of these names. A blood disorder that's resulting in low platelet counts. Repurposing drugs for acute radiation syndrome that are also approved for commercial indication helps to sustain availability of the product and improves healthcare provider familiarity with the drug. It cannot be a coincidence that this announcement was made, uh, I think it was was made for release on October 4th, so two days ago, um, in conjunction with uh, what's going on in North Korea and Russia. So just 
FYI, your government is purchasing large quantities of radiation medication. So you may want to be looking into, I think it's potassium iodide, um, and and see if you can get your hands on some of this end plate stuff. So um, the Biden administration unveiled a set of far-reaching goals. It's the story of, of this administration's entire time in office aimed at averting harms caused by the rise of artificial intelligence systems, including guidelines for how to protect people's personal data and limit surveillance. Well, you could just get rid of the monstrosity of a Patriot Act or whatever the fuck it's called now. Oops, shoot. Sorry. Bad word. Uh, The blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights notably does not set out specific enforcement actions, but instead is intended as a White House call to action for the U.S. government to safeguard digital and civil rights in an AI-fueled world. This is the Biden-Harris administration really saying that we need to work together, not only just across government, but across all sectors, wink, wink, hey, social media, to really put equity at the center of civil rights, at the center of the ways we make and use and govern technologies. Um, That word equity, man, it just gives me like a visceral response every time I hear it. We can and should expect better and demand better from our technologies. The office said the White House or the White Paper represents a major advance in the administration's agenda to hold technology companies accountable and highlighted various federal agencies' commitments to weighing new rules and studying the specific impacts of AI technologies. The document emerged after a year-long consultation with more than two dozen different departments and also incorporates feedback from civil society groups, technologists, industry researchers, and tech companies, including Palantir and Microsoft. Can't imagine how much that costs the taxpayer. Still, because many AI-powered tools are developed, adopted, or funded at the state and local level, the federal government has limited oversight regarding their use. The white paper makes no specific mention of how the Biden administration could influence specific policies at state or local levels, but a senior administration official said the administration was exploring how to align federal agents, how to align federal grants with AI guidance. The white paper does not have power over tech companies that develop the tools, nor does it include any new legislative proposals. Nelson said agencies would continue to use existing rules to prevent automated systems from unfairly disadvantaging people. Or maybe, hear me out here because this is a wild thought, stop using artificial intelligence to do things like determine whether or not a child is safe in their home. Stop using artificial intelligence to influence online interactions and allow that to happen organically. Artificial intelligence is just that, not real. Start using real intelligence again. In a shocking interview from the Coordinator for Strategic Communications at the National Security Council, John Kirby, the Biden administration is not only defending its decision to discharge nearly 20,000 healthy U.S. troops for refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccine, despite dangerously low recruitment numbers, they insisted that the vaccines are important for military readiness. Never mind the fact that it could destroy your heart indefinitely. At least you won't have COVID. To drive this point home, Kirby said the vaccines are a valid military requirement. You want your troops to be ready. Part of being ready is being healthy. 
and not having the ability to infect your unit and make their unit readiness any worse than it is. While admitting that he's giving this interview at home, recovering from his own bout with COVID, and has received four COVID shots. As the Biden administration prepares to kick out tens of thousands of unvaccinated but otherwise healthy troops, the United States Army revealed that it missed its 2022 recruiting goal by 15,000 troops, marking a 25% miss from the 60,000 new soldiers it sought to recruit before the fiscal year ended on September 30th. It's the worst miss on record for the service since the U.S. military became an all-volunteer force nearly 50 years ago. Biden on Friday personally called a Coast Guard rescue swimmer to thank him for saving people's lives during Hurricane Ian. That same Coast Guard member is due to be discharged within days over his military vaccine mandate. He told Christina Wong, who interviewed him, If I had asked any of those people that I saved yesterday, if they wanted to come with me, even though I wasn't vaccinated, every single one of them would have said yes. It just sucks that he thanked me, yet his vaccine mandate is kicking me out. Whew. Man, oh man. Hold your hats because this story is a doozy. A New York University professor has been fired after a group of students signed a petition against him suggesting that his course was too difficult. Maitland Jones Jr., who is 84 years old, had 82 of his 350 organic chemistry students sign the petition, citing Jones's teaching methods and course outline as reasons for their poor grades. We're very concerned about our scores and find that they're not an accurate reflection of the time and effort put into this class, the petition said. We urge you to realize that a class with such a high percentage of withdrawals and low grades has failed to make students' learning and well-being a priority and reflects poorly on the chemistry department as well as the institution as a whole. Accusations made against Jones include reducing the number of midterm exams from three to two, no offering of extra credit, no Zoom access to lectures for those with COVID, And Jones taught with a condescending and demanding tone. (laughs) Jones defended accusations made via the petition, adding that he reduced the number of exams because NYU scheduled his first test after six classes. Technology in the lecture hall in which Jones taught prohibited him from recording his writing on the whiteboard. He said the problem with students emerged a decade ago, just a couple years after he moved from Princeton to NYU in 2007, as he noticed a loss of focus in his students. As students returned from virtual learning as a result of the pandemic, that problem only got worse. Students were not studying. Students seemingly did not know how to study. We now see single-digit scores and even zeros, he said. In an effort to help students, Jones and two other professors taped 52 lectures, which Jones says he paid $5,000 of his own money to publish. They're still used. In 2020, an estimated 30 students out of 475 signed a petition saying they need more help. They were really struggling, Jones said. They didn't have good internet coverage at home, all sorts of things. 
Other students who most recently took the course told the New York Times that Jones was helpful when they asked for help, but he could be sarcastic. Zachariah Benzlemane, which is a PhD student at Harvard and former teaching assistant for Jones, emailed NYU in defense of him. Quote, I think this petition was written more out of unhappiness with exam scores than an actual feeling of being treated unfairly. I've noticed that many of the students who consistently complained about the class did not use the resources we afforded to them. Jones said he fears for other professors at the university who may face the same response from faculty. I don't want my job back, he said. I just want to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else. The level of entitlement and softness for people who simply do not want to put in the work in today's society is astounding. Reading this article made me laugh so hard and want to cry at the same time. The animal rights activist who was tackled by Los Angeles Rams linebacker Bobby Wagner has apparently filed an assault complaint following the incident. The protester, widely identified as Alex Taylor of Direct Action Everywhere, ran onto the field carrying a pink flare during the Rams game against the 49ers on Monday night. After evading security, he was tackled by the 240-pound Wagner, a Super Bowl champion and six-time All-Pro. Video of the hit soon went viral. Wagner said he'd tackled the protester out of a concern for other safety. That's not making a play, Wagner said after the game. That's just keeping it safe. You don't know what that fan has or what they're doing. You see it all the time, and we don't know what they're carrying in their pockets. It's whatever that little smoke stuff is, but that shit could be dangerous. One of the security guys on the other side, it looked like he got hurt, and security looked like he was struggling. So I was frustrated, so I took it out on him. Today's episode brought to you by idiots, I guess. Like, (laughs) who runs out on a football field on Monday night football with a smoke flare and doesn't expect to get tackled by somebody, whether it be security or one of the football players. Now you want to you want to bring assault charges? Come on now. The American Medical Association, Children's Hospital Association, and American Academy of Pediatrics sent a letter to Merrick Garland on Monday asking the department to take, quote, swift action to investigate and prosecute individuals responsible for what they alleged are increasing threats of violence against hospitals and physicians targeted for providing evidence-based gender-affirming care. The groups are also calling on big tech companies like Twitter, TikTok, and Meta to do more to prevent coordinated campaigns of disinformation and take bolder action when false information is shared about specific institutions and physicians. Boston Children's Hospital this summer came under fire over its Center for Gender Surgery that performs mastectomies on teenagers as young as 15, as well as since-deleted wording on the hospital's website that claimed teens as young as 17 could get vaginoplasties. The hospital's website stated as recently as August 12th that to qualify for gender affirmation at Boston Children's Hospital, you must be at least 18 years old for phalloplasty or metoidoplasty, I don't even know what that is, and at least 17 years old for vaginoplasty. Our organizations are dedicated to the health and well-being of all children and adolescents. 
We're committed to the full spectrum of patient care from prevention to critical care, the group said in a media statement. We stand with the physicians, nurses, mental health specialists, and other healthcare professionals who provide evidence based healthcare, including gender affirming care to children and adolescents. Oof. After the announcement that Musk will now own Twitter, the meltdown has been nothing short of glorious. Elon Musk's expected takeover of Twitter has Washington holding its breath. If the world's richest man reinstates Donald Trump along with other controversial politicians banned for rule violations, Republican campaign managers could again find their days wrecked with tweet-driven headaches. Meanwhile, Democrats worry a revived Trump Twitter feed could be a huge boon for his future presidential ambitions. Or Musk, who says he's a free speech absolutist, could end up scaring off users and invite a wave of litigation if he does away with the platform's efforts to weed out disinformation, racism, and other vitriol. If they say something that is illegal or otherwise just destructive to the world, then there should perhaps be a timeout, a temporary suspension. But I think permabans just fundamentally undermine trust in Twitter, Musk has said in the past. Beloved by journalists and politicians, though perhaps not as widely read outside of the Beltway, the platform looks like it's headed for major changes that could shape the upcoming midterms and 2024 presidential elections, especially if Trump is allowed back. What exactly this means for Washington's political elite and journalists who rely on the platform for breaking news and political discourse, they do not rely on it for political discourse, they rely on it for propaganda, remains up in the air. But here are some potential pitfalls of a Musk-run Twitter. With less than five weeks until the 2022 midterms, a Trump return could serve as a distraction for the GOP and a key messaging narrative for Democrats. It could also mean the return of midnight tweet storms that political reporters and editors had come to dread and expect during the Trump administration. Misinformation and hate speech could poison the platform. Twitter has done has had one of the more responsible content moderation policies of the large social media platforms, said Mark Jablonowski, president of DS Political, an advertising technology firm supporting Democratic candidates. Pulling that risks turning Twitter into 4chan or 8chan, which we just really don't want to see. He's <laughs> mean words on the internet. Oh my gosh, golly gee. Hold your pearls, Martha. Them there curse words might be on the internet box. Also, less moderation could lead to a dramatic rise in hate speech and extremism on the platform, watchdog groups say. In a world where Twitter has zero or very little content moderation, will all of its politicians jump ship? That's a possibility. Oh my gosh, the horror of not having a bunch of people who lie for a living. Whatever will the plebs do? One key point, however, often overlooked, Twitter has never been very popular with the average voter. And while a Musk takeover may push some politicians off the platform, it's still not where the majority of voters spend their time. Quote, Twitter is not a platform for raising money, 
It's not a platform for persuading voters. It's all about shaping the narrative for campaigns. Twitter is the real news time is the news real-time platform for politics, but it's not the primary place that you're going to reach the vast majority of voters and really educate the vast majority of voters. Facebook platforms today and YouTube really have a much greater reach to the actual American public. Faces are melting, and I'm here for, here for it. All right, that is Thursday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Went a little long today, but I love you guys. I hope you have a great Thursday, and I will see you in the morning. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.